2: I love how the writer of Hebrews describes this. He says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. From Luke chapter 19. And this message that I'm calling, Who is God in this city? What's your favorite city in the world? Maybe it's right where you are. I, I've been blessed. I've, I've traveled a little bit around the world, and so I've got some cities that I love. Like, I love the city of love, Paris. I've had the chance to be there in Paris with my bride a few times because of our mission partnerships in France. I love the city of Paris. Man, I love the city of London because I can understand the language and uh, I can see so much of our our heritage and and, and boy, there's a seesaw in front of Buckingham Palace and I love being there with my bride and uh, I love New York City the Big Apple. Uh, now, you can have a lot of fun in New York City, and it's opening back up, and uh, there's, there's Broadway shows. You can eat some of the best food and see some of the greatest sights, and I love being in New York City with my, my baby. Um, and my, my wife, she, her family, they, they came from Colorado, so I've I grew up in South Carolina. I'd never been to Colorado, but we began to visit there a good bit. And I loved the little city of Vail. And, and boy, when it was cold and I could snuggle up with my wife in the snow in Vail, that warmed me up. I, I love cities all around the world. But you know what I figured out? I, I love the person I'm with in those cities more than I love that geographical location. And maybe you've got some cities that you've been to that are pretty cool. I I think the city of Istanbul is incredible. I I love visiting there. Man, I, I love going to Jerusalem. I would love for you to go there with me sometime. What a great city. But when we look in God's word and we see all these different cities that are mentioned, what we begin to realize is... God's not trying to get us to understand geography. He, he's trying to get us to understand his love for people because we, the people, we make up the city. That's what Jesus was saying in that great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world and a city that's set on a hill, you, you cannot be hidden. So you become this city of God here in this world that's been made by his hands and you represent him. And, and you're not covert, you're not hidden in this world, but you're, you're shining brightly for his glory and, and on his mission. And that's why we talk about our mission as a church, and it, it's simple to understand. We, we say we want to do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. Let's say that together. Doing whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. And I believe that's why God's put you here. You you do understand he put you here, right? You you thought you moved here. You you thought you decided to load up that U-Haul and come down from New York or New Jersey or Connecticut. We've had a lot of those over the last couple of years. But the Bible says he put you here. Paul's talking to a group of people in that great ancient city of Athens, and he's walking around, and he's seeing the sights like you and I do in the cities, and he's saying, man, there's some great buildings here, and there's all kinds of statues. There's even idols. I even passed one idol, he says, that says, this is to the unknown God. But then he says this, he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You see, if if you're a person of the book, if you believe the Bible, what the Bible teaches is we make our plans, but God directs our steps. And, And so you think you chose to live here? The Bible says that in his sovereignty, he positioned you here. So really, what you've got to begin to ask and what we seek to answer as we gather as the church, as the body of Christ, is we want to know, God, why are we here? We're going to answer that in these next few minutes. Let's pray together once more. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to say we love you. Oh, it's good just to gather and to sing about you and sing to you and to praise your name. Lord, there are some days it seems confusing, but on days like today, we just can't wait to be in heaven and to be able to be part of that awesome chorus that's just praising you forever and worshiping you, Jesus, and just being overwhelmed by how good you are and how great it is to be in your presence. So thank you. We do worship you. But we also need you. We need you because here on this earth, we've, we so often feel lost and sometimes we feel lonely and we, we long for that, that heavenly home and that eternal city that you've created for us. And, and so a lot of times we just have to say, God, why are we here still? And what are we doing? And how do you want to use us? And what is your plan? And God, so we need you to talk to us. And I, I thank you that we have the Bible, your word, and that it's perfect and true. And it's not just printed words on a page but this is the word of god that is spoken and living and active and and it 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 comes into our lives with great power and force so lord use your word to teach us what we don't know
3: give us lord those things we don't have
2: Lord, you, you tell us that you make all things new, that you make us into a new creation, that, that we're not conformed to this world. We don't look like this world, but we're transformed into your image. And, and we know we're created in your image. And now you tell us we're going to be transformed into your image. So make us more like you, Jesus, because we're here. Nobody, not one of us needs another church service, God. But we need to be more like you, Jesus
3: once more I pray today with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight oh God my strength and my redeemer and I ask this in Jesus name
2: Amen in Luke 19 we see Jesus descending that mount of olives heading into Jerusalem and there there are a couple of eventful scenes that we come across in Luke 19. For example, we see him come in contact with a little guy, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. And and we see in this story that Jesus loves people. And I, I think that's important for the context of where this passage ends up, because at the core of who Jesus is, is that he loves people. And 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 that's what you and I have to understand. He loves me and you, but he also loves those that we may even have a hard time loving because he loves people like Zacchaeus. And so then we have that what's called the triumphal entry where Jesus starts coming into the city. and, And ironically, the very same people that just a few days later will put him to death. They're cheering him on. And, and we see that principle that I've seen all my life, that it's easy in a gathering when you've got a lot of folks around you to say, praise the Lord and hallelujah and, and act like we're all in. But then when the going gets tough, often the, the tough get going, don't they? And people depart, walk out, and then Jesus comes and he's standing there on the Mount of Olives. And I had the privilege of being there several times, and I'd love to, to stand there with you. It's an, it's an awe inspiring view to see a version of what Jesus would have seen, to, to look out over from that hilltop, the city of Jerusalem.
3: And we see the compassion of God. Luke 19, we pick up in verse
2: 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and and surround you and and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you, and, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation so you see just the emotion in this moment Jesus knows what's coming but but before he even begins to talk about what's coming his trial his crucifixion his resurrection he he speaks out over the city he, he just demonstrates God's displeasure It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Matthew's account of this is a little different. We we have a different Understanding. He says in Matthew 23 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stalls those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. So, Dr. Luke gives us just the facts, and Matthew comes in and he gives us a little bit of an illustration of this. And, and we can relate if you've been a mother or a father or a grandmother or grandfather. You, you see your children or your grandchildren, and sometimes you've got to go, Hey, c- come here. Come, come back. Get over here. And, and sometimes you might grab them by the collar and say, Get over here. And so Jesus is looking out over the city. And, and let me just remind you, Jesus had not just shown up when he was born in that manger. Jesus has always been. So he's looking out from this hill that he's spoken to existence when he created the word. Because that's what the Bible says in Colossians, that all things were created for him and by him. And he's looking out and he's saying,
3: this is not good,
2: but this is why I'm here. And, And there's a part of that that I think has to be our message when we think about the city. This is not good, but this is why we're here. So, a, a few things about Jesus, and then we'll apply them to our life. First of all, this Jesus went to the city. Now, that may be stating the obvious, but I, I want you to see what, what's happening there. Jesus went to the city, even though he knew what was going to take place in the city. What was going to take place in the city was his death. Yet, Jesus went to the city. And we learned something that's important. For how we look at life. Life is not about us pursuing our comfort. It's about us accomplishing his mission. And that's not the American way, by the way. The American way says you work as hard as you can throughout your life, and, and then you begin to live out your dreams. And what are your dreams? Maybe you get a place at the beach, or, or maybe you get a place in the mountains, and, and maybe after you've worked in the city all your life, you run away, and you get away from people, and you just get comfortable yeah, that's not what Jesus did.
3: Jesus ran to the people,
2: because Jesus loves people. Kind of like my friend Tammy loves people. Larry and Tammy Rucker are part of our church and serve in so many different ways. But I've watched Tammy over recent months, the last couple of years. She's taken advantage of something that a lot of you have missed out on, because she's realized that God brought the mission field to her. So she may never have to travel to Africa or the Middle East or to Asia or to Europe or even South America because she can be a missionary here. So she comes up during the week and, and she builds relationships with students from around the world that are learning English on our campus. And they're from those different places and even different countries and continents that I've mentioned. And, and she might just serve them some food or, or sit around a table and talk to them, but she builds a relationship and then she might invite them into her home. And, and She didn't know it, but I looked out of my office window earlier this week and I, I saw Tammy and she was kind of coordinating out in the parking lot. If I'm not mistaken, she had somebody from South America and somebody else from Europe and maybe somebody from Asia and from all over the world, people were gathering, three, four, five of them, and, and they were meeting together here on this parking lot because Tammy was taking them to a park just to hang out just to love on them, just to run to them. Investing in people for the glory of God and the mission of God. Some of you it. that's what we talked about in Jeremiah 29 a few weeks ago. Remember what? God said to the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now remember the context. The Jews were there exiled. They were, had been taken away. They were captive. And there were some false teachers, kind of the prosperity preachers of that day that were saying, hey, just hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. But we read the Bible and it says sometimes things aren't great. Sometimes things aren't Okay. And so these people thought they were going to be delivered and God sent Jeremiah to say, no, y'all need to hang out here a while because it's going to be a bit. It's going to be 70 years before you go. Some of you are going to die here. So what does he say? In verse 5 and 29, it says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. And otherwise, this is a generational time frame that you're dealing with. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare.
3: I, I think we need to understand this reality God wants us to be
2: where we are. And and a lot of us, we spend a lot of time and energy in our life thinking about where we want to be, but our God just wants us to be where we are. We're to live for his glory and for his mission right where we are because when we do, it changes lives. It changes lives like John and Maya John and Maya came to our Six Mile Campus a good while back, and their life was a mess. They'd gotten caught up in addiction, and
3: they'd lost their home. They'd lost their children.
2: And our church, you over there at our Six Mile Campus, began to love on John and Maya. And as happens when God begins to work through you and and people see that God loves people because you love people. John and Maya became followers of Jesus. And, and John and Maya were baptized. And they began to pursue living for God. And, and they begin to walk away from those addictions. And God broke those chains. And God gave them a home. And then this week, I, I had a first that took, took place. I, I got a call from a county judge. Now, often that could be a bad thing, but on this particular day, that was a good thing because this judge was calling and he he was saying, Pastor, I've just got to shout out to Mission Hill. I just got to praise God for what you're doing because today I had the privilege of presiding over the case of John and Maya. And because of the love of your church and because of the way you've invested in their lives and because of the way you have made a difference, I was able to tell them they have their children back. That's God working. That's what happens when you run to those places God wants you to be. It's a ministry of presence. Somebody says that 90% of success is just showing up. What happens when you show up and you demonstrate the love of God in practical ways? No strings attached. Just being where you are. Here's a question for you. Is your presence making an impact on those in your little corner of the world? It's where you are a better place because you are there. Jesus went to the city, but there's a second thing in this passage.
3: Jesus wept for the city.
2: That word that says Jesus wept, it literally means he burst into tears. So y'all know this. I'm a little bit of a crybaby I mean, all I've got to do is watch a Hallmark commercial and the tears start running down my eye. But this isn't talking about a a leakage of the eye. This was a loud, sobbing, wailing cry from the God of the universe. As he looked out over creation, as he looked at the city, he wept. Another place it says that Jesus was moved with
3: compassion. And and if you will allow me just to get on the edge for a second. My southern lady,
2: um, southern lady mother was always careful about her wording. Whenever we would talk about things of the bathroom, she might would talk about having a movement. All right. There you heard it in church, maybe for the first time. When it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, it literally means a word that is a guttural movement. He felt it
3: in his gut.
2: When's the last time you've been so moved emotionally over the things of God that you felt it deep within you?
3: The only other time we see Jesus
2: crying like this is in John 11 when he weeps over the death of his good friend Lazarus. And Jesus is showing us on both occasions that he's not just physically invested, he's emotionally involved. And, And so while God wants you to be where you are, he wants you to be physically present, I'm telling you, he wants you to be emotionally involved.
3: So I'd ask you today, are you passionate
2: about the people in your little corner of the world? God's looking for your presence, but he's also looking for your passion. Jesus went to the city. Jesus wept for the city. But then the other thing you see is that Jesus warned the city. So remember the scenario you've got here. Jesus
3: is looking over Jerusalem. And he, he begins to weep. And then he says, uh, this is not good. It's not going to turn out good for you. You're going to be destroyed.
2: It's a prophetic voice of Jesus. And in the Bible, there's two kinds of prophecy. One is a foretelling of the future. The other is a telling forth. It's describing what's going to happen. And in this particular case, Jesus does both. He's telling what's going to happen, and then he just states truth. He states the fact. It's prophetic. And guess what? It takes place that way. In 60 AD, or 70 AD rather, under the reign of Titus, the Roman guard, Jerusalem is destroyed. What's left after that 143-day siege where 600,000 Jews are killed? In 135 A.D., Hadrian destroyed the rest. In a way, Jesus is saying that the truth of God is going to shine forth even when you're not willing to receive it. He was warning them. And I think when we see this, we're reminded that every one of us, every Christ follower, we are to have on some level a prophetic voice. We're to be the ones who speak difference into the world. So the Bible does use these phrases saying we're salt and light.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com.